We were proud as punch to see our family name mounted on the shop front. Our very own premises on Market Street. L. Mullins. Lawrence Mullins. Publican. My dear late husband. Oh, people say such fine words when a person passes on. Er yes dig or ever anum. Gone from our sight, but never from our hearts. Time is a great healer. Oh, I miss him. It was sudden. Devastating. Cards, flowers and prayers arrived with words of deepest sympathy. Larry was larger than life. A force of nature. Anyone who frequented our establishment would say that very thing. A hospitable man with a kind word for all. And such a man for laughter. I loved him with all my heart. I still do. Our youngest, also Lawrence, was just gone three at the time. Our daughters off seeking their fortunes in New York. There was I young mouths to feed and a business to run. The world outside a constant battle. How would I manage alone? How would I fare without Larry at my side? A lot of responsibility fell to Nicholas, our eldest son. Nineteen when he lost his father. He was doing well, having secured a position with the council, earning a fine wage, a respectable job. I encouraged him to keep his head down and concentrate on his duties. No need to be concerning himself with anything else. More young men were taking that road, getting into terrible bother with the Brits. For a while, Nicholas did his best to stay out of trouble and do exactly as I asked. Man of the house now, he set about filling his father's shoes and worked hard protecting the family business. But of course, there are very many distractions in life. Things that are beyond a person's control. Within hours, the June sun will beat down as if its intention is to melt everything in its path, the heat rising. Will there ever be a reprieve from this oppressive atmosphere? My sister, Rebecca, and I pray every day for rainfall. A break from this hot spell would bring much-needed respite. The crops long for it. The roadways are so dry and dusty. The air, dirty. Everyone, everything, agitated. Man and beast. Our farmhand, Sandy Bradley, is late unacceptably late. The cows should have been milked by half-past six. Father used to say that those who are not punctual believe their own time to be more precious than the time of those left waiting. With this, I entirely agree. Rebecca is more lenient than I, certain there will be good reason for Mr Bradley's tardiness. After all, this is an infrequent occurrence. My sister has always been too soft. There can be no excuse. There are plenty around here who would be more than willing to take on the work. She suggests that I pull on my boots and do the milking myself when the good man finally bursts through the doorway, breathless, covered in sweat and gasping for air. He has been running and, cap in hand, apologises profusely. Mr. Epp, I'm so sorry. I got held up so I did. It'll not happen again. I'll get straight to work. Wait a moment. What kept you, Mr. Bradley? I asked you a question, Mr. Bradley. Has the cat got your tongue? 
and it angers me when he lowers his head, looking like a scolded mongrel. Bridie's been my closest friend for as long as I can remember. Mammy says she's flighty, that she should have more sense. A silly young girl. Chatters about getting a fella and marriage and babies. This kind of talk comes straight from Bridie's mother, who fears her daughter will be left on the shelf at the grand old age of 15. She's fierce romantic. Her wedding, when it does take place, will be the grandest affair in all of Kilkenny. The festivities lasting for a week, maybe longer. She keeps a secret list of boys she likes. Tis hidden in a secret hollow we dug out with our own hands, over in the twelve-acre field. Hidden away, so her father won't discover it. (laughs) Mr Walker would blow his top. He's not a romantic, unlike Bridie and her mother. Mr Walker is more concerned with the fight for Irish freedom. Bridie finds his belly aching, as she calls it, extremely dull. But I like listening to him. He's got a lot to say about the Brits and getting the bastards out of Ireland. If only Daddy was more like Mr Walker. He stays out of all that. Top of Bridie's list is Sean Byrne. (laughs) She thinks he likes her too, because he's always thrown her the glad eye in the house dances. But he does that with all the girls. I've seen him. Oh, my heart. He's too handsome for words, Mary. So handsome and brave. He's perfect. Many would agree with Bridie. Even Mammy says he's a sight for sore eyes. But he talks a great deal of nonsense. The way that chap struts about the place loving the sound of his own voice. People like him are only asking for trouble. God love him, but Sean Byrne really thinks he's Michael Collins. When I tell Bridie there's more important things going on in our country than finding a husband, she says I'm being foolish. Mary, what can you do about any of that? Leave the fight for Ireland to the men. You're as bad as my father. Oh, I hate when she talks like this. There's plenty of women fighting out there. We should all be doing our bit for freedom. What could be more important than finding true love? You'll turn into a wrinkly old spinster if you're not careful. You're already snarly and cantankerous. Oh, indeed I am not. What about Johnny Brennan, with his big belly and beady eyes? He's a catch. Plenty of cattle and a fine bicycle. Or we could marry you off to the Wandsfords. You can be in charge of their filthy cold mines and swan around all day covered in black soot. Like my father, you mean? I'm pulling your leg, Mary. Don't be so serious. When I inform Bridie I have no intention of swanning around anywhere, or of being a lady, she laughs because she finds me so very funny. Mr. Bradley refuses to tell us why he's late. This is unacceptable. I tell him he is more than welcome to go back the way he came. He considers this briefly and takes a deep breath. I was held up at Coolbarn Cross by the IRA. They're stopping every saint and sinner on the road to town this morning, crawling us like cattle into the coach house. People are not at all happy with the disruption. Missing market day. Believe me, Miss Draper, I became rather argumentative with my captors. Indeed, I kicked up quite the fuss, shouted for immediate release, told them I cannot be late, but they paid me no heed. I carried on shouting, I have 14 cows to milk, I will lose my job with Miss Draper. Finally, they capitulated and sent me on my way. I cannot say I blame them, knowing how Mr Bradley is when he is up in arms. 
And when I inquire as to why the IRA are detaining people, again, Mr Bradley hangs his head and is, quite frankly, tied up in knots. I understand his unease, his unwillingness to reveal something that might bring trouble upon him. Fear. Fear has crept into our lives, particularly the lives of those who remain loyal to the Crown. Rebecca and I carry a great deal of fear where home rule is concerned. Fear of what might become of us under such a system brings an enormous sense of uncertainty. A fear that there could be murders of Irish Protestants, particularly in quieter, rural areas like ours. The idea of home rule is unacceptable. The Protestants in the North, at least, have built up a separatist unionist movement, but as for us... I cannot stomach the thought of being ruled by a Roman Catholic government from Dublin with their bitter hatred of Protestant landowners and customs. Indeed, the gap between Catholic and Protestant grows greater by the day. With this playing on our minds, we had taken a decision to put measures in place. Employing the services of Mr Robert Bell, who was tasked with auctioning off our property and livestock. That plan did not go as hoped, and we were forced to remain at Finsborough House. I was secretly quite pleased, having such love for this place. I have spent my whole life here. The RIC frequently detained Lawrence over the years. Sergeant Carr was a proper tyrant. Larry said he'd never known a man to take such pleasure in swinging a baton. The sergeant regularly had half the town publicans up on charges of breaching the Licensing Act. And sure, it never bothered Larry. Divil a bit. He might keep the bar open when he'd no business in doing so or he'd be accused of unlawfully permitting drunkenness on the premises. I can tell you, we parted with a fair few shillings for our sins and I'd become ill-tempered. He'd laugh and say I was being waspish, and if it didn't worry him, then it should be of no cause of concern to me. The RIC suited themselves when it came to regulations. In no hurry to depart when they'd be fallen over, bleary-eyed from drink. No breaches of any laws where they were concerned. Nick would help me out at night in the bar. He hated to see those stooges under our roof. It pained him more and more to keep quiet about it. I would tell him to be silent. They're not real Irishmen, Mother. They're nothing but yes-men. Tell me, what kind of Irishman behaves that way? What kind of respectable Irishman goes out and works for the Brits? He wanted none of them crossing our threshold. But although I was inclined to agree, I'd whisper at him to lower his voice and keep his opinions to himself. You never knew who was listening. I didn't want him getting in bother or being set upon by the black and tans. They were the worst of the lot. The stories you'd hear... I'd am warned not to bring trouble to our door for himself or any of my other children. But as time went on, he became more headstrong. Tis not for them to be disciplining us. Mark my words. Change is coming. Make sure you're ready. And know there will come a day, Mother, when we're finally rid of that lot. You wait and see. Thomas and Richard would purposefully agree with all Nick said... They so admired their brother.
Mammy wept all night after hearing about the Farrell brothers. Not much older than me. Work in the fields in Ballymurphy. Two lorry loads of black and tans pulled up, slaughtered them both in cold blood. Tipped off by some disgusting creature who'd surely get his comeuppance when the IRA caught him. They killed two others, Michael Fay and Michael Ryan. The tans firing on them from all places. Mr Ryan was shot dead and him only out pumping water in his own yard. But Mammy wept. Mostly at the thought of poor Mr Farrell and how it must have broken his heart into pieces going out in search of his sons only to find them slaughtered like animals in the field. Side by side. Imagine their father seeing that. How would you ever get over it? God have mercy on them all. The Tans terrified Mammy. They terrified everyone. The way they went about the place. Like they owned it. Like they owned you. Beating people for no reason. Burning houses. Savages, she called them. Because they showed no mercy. The horrible things they did to people. We must be careful. Very careful indeed. Surely Mammy will never see the back of them if we all hide away being careful. You're nothing but a silly girl with no understanding of the world. Loose talk is exactly what gets people in trouble. Gets them killed. And being my only child, you would do well to keep your mouth shut. I didn't agree with her, though. I felt bad. Because sometimes I'd look at Mammy and Daddy and I'd feel an awful shame. I'd look at them and I'd think they were terrible cowards when it came to Irish freedom. What are you hiding, Mr Bradley? Nothing, Miss Draper, I promise. You must cease with this interrogation. For goodness sake, Flory, the man is terrified. Let Sandy do his job. Aren't the cows still waiting? He's clearly petrified and has had quite enough excitement for one morning. Sandy, you may go. Thank you, Miss Rebecca. Mr Bradley will stay right here until we know exactly what is going on. You may rest assured those men are up to no good. You will tell us. If the rebels are detaining people as you say they are, there is obviously dirty work at hand. I should think the fact that you've concealed information will be looked on rather unfavourably by the powers that be. Be it on your own head, Mr Bradley. Please, Miss Triper, I can't. Tell me what you know, or leave. They're saying there will be an ambush, an attack on the soldiers delivering Jelliganite to the Woolfield Colliery this morning. Oh, my goodness. Sit down, Mr Bradley. Tell me everything you know. Every last detail. Eventually, all mothers must let their children go. A mother who does not do this has utterly failed her child. But more often, the ties that bind us are violently pulled away by that which is completely beyond our control. A silence descended on Nicholas. A dark silence. He was so very far away. Such anger. The British had no right to be here. The army, the tans, the RIC, the traitors. Some time ago, a couple of Sinn Féin men had been charged with unlawful assembly on Market Street. 
making a collection in a public place without having obtained a permit from the county inspector, causing a nuisance, it seems. The young men were dragged up to Sessions' house and a scuffle broke out. The men, of course, refused to recognise the court and the crowd became boisterous. The judge demanded the court be cleared and the RIC, armed with batons, beat everyone in sight. The crowd pushed out onto the street with more RIC, rushing out of the barracks to join the brawl. Elsie O'Hara, the district nurse, was living on Low Street and, looking out, witnessed Jack Ryan, a close friend of Nick, being smashed across the head over and over by an officer. She rushed outside to Jack's assistance, herself narrowly avoiding injury. The officer raised his baton and she screamed that she was a nurse doing her job. She saved Jack's life. But he was never quite the same after. I believe this was the final straw for Nicholas. He was enraged. Wanted to hit back at British injustice. Needed to be part of the fight. He was determined. Change was coming. Nothing I said could stop him anymore. The British are an alien force, trying to crush the spirit of this nation. Their nation is trying to kill our nation. Their forefathers have killed thousands of ours. You must stay out of it. You have responsibilities. You cannot be involved in this battle. He looked at me then, almost with pity. A battle? Mother, what is wrong with you? Are you blind to what is happening in our country? This is no battle. Surely you can see that we have been at war for years. Me and Daddy are walking home from the village when he turns to me with a real serious look. Did you hear the terrible news about the chap from Moon in Raw? Damaged his health from drinking too much milk. I haven't, Daddy. Indeed, it was an awful tragedy. The cow fell right on top of him. <laughs> Daddy's a great man for the jokes. And we're laughing away when a pair of tans approach us on the road. They stop. One of them pokes Daddy in the arm. Something funny, Paddy? No. You were laughing, weren't you, Paddy? Something must be funny. Just nothing. Didn't sound like nothing, Paddy. Daddy puts his head down. Keeps quiet. But no, the tan cannot leave it. You deaf, Paddy? I asked you a fucking question, you dumb Irish pig. Is something funny? You're laughing at me? No. No what? No. So. That's right. The tan shoves Daddy hard. He ends up on the ground. He puts his dirty boot on Daddy's face. Leave him alone! Crabs, ain't you a feisty one? My father did nothing to you. Your father might want to teach you some manners, little girl. Speaking to your superiors like that. You're not my superior. Be quiet. Not your superior? Is that what you think? The tan spits on my father and, delighted with himself, continues on his way. This is not something we can keep to ourselves. We cannot stand idly by and let this so-called Irish army carry out an attack on Crown forces. I am left with no choice. Captain Beauville must be told immediately... We cannot get involved. I will not have the murder of innocent British soldiers on my conscience. Armed rebels lying in wait, hidden from view. How would it appear should it be revealed that we had concealed such information? We would be shunned by all in our circle. 
This is too risky, Florence. There will be repercussions for us all if you're found out. If these brave fellows so far from home are willing to put their young lives at risk in a strange land overrun by rebels, then we must, of course, do the right thing. We have no choice in this matter. It is our civic duty. Occasionally, our children would come into the bar and sing for the customers. Nick sang so beautifully. Larry would often tease me with that glint in his eye, telling all and sundry how our children were blessed. Isn't it a gift from God that the children inherited their singing and sporting skill from my side of the family? Look at Nick, a singer, a fiddle player, a hurler with a junior All-Ireland medal. Such a blessing that our children have such talents from the Mullen side. Just even luckier how they got their handsome looks and intelligence from my side of the family. The Hanrahans of Glenmore. Well, my love, I have no answer for that. Except to say that for a woman who cannot hold a tune, you certainly do sing a lot. And just because I cannot sing doesn't mean I will not sing. And again, there'd be laughter. There was such laughter back in those days. So much joy and laughter. I tell Bradley to ready my horse. You've lost your senses. What on earth are you thinking? You'll be seen. This is dangerous. You're taking your life into your hands. But there'll certainly be trouble for all of us. The best course of action is to send Mr Bradley to the barracks. It was him who saw the IRA, after all. Bradley must go. Absolutely not. I will speak directly to Captain Beauville. I cannot believe how foolish you are. I have God on my side. As the good book says, Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Let us hope that God is listening to your prayers this morning, Florence. Because nothing good can come of this. Mark my words. Daddy is furious. I've never seen him in such a rage. Bringing attention to myself like that. Shouting at those men. I'm always telling you, keep your opinions to yourself. This has always been your trouble, Mary. How could you have behaved in such a disgraceful manner? Those men are killing our language. Killing the soul of our country. Killing our culture. No more of this talk. I'll not tolerate another word. Have I not enough to do without having to hear such insolence from my own daughter's mouth? At least I stood up for myself. Not like you. You've had your head stuck underground in the coal for too long. He strikes me hard across the face and stalks out of the kitchen. Nick is leaving. He has to. He hands over some money to tide me over. I won't take it. He insists. I need you here, Nick. He says I must not worry. I ask him where he's going. He shakes his head. The less I know, the better. Nicholas, I must know where you are. Do you think I'd sleep one wink, not knowing whether or not you're safe? beg him to reconsider 
beg him not to get involved in anything that might bring him into harm's way, anything dangerous. And he smiles. I'll be grand, Mother. But of course You never have to worry about me. I worry. Mothers are never done worrying. A mother constantly worries about her children, especially those children who've become angry young men. He's wearing that suit, the one he proudly bought some time ago, the one he wears to mass and dances. I tease and say he was done up like an English country gentleman. He'd end up in a frock coat if he wasn't careful. And we'd laugh. A fine, heavy tweed. Navy. Such a handsome boy. A handsome man. His cap slightly crooked, so I put it right. And hold him. Make him promise not to stay away for long. He pulls himself free. Kisses my cheek. And then he's gone. They scurry about like wasps protecting their nest. A young soldier with a hardened face approaches. No more than twenty. A serious fellow. What is your business here, madam? Could you please tell Captain Beauville that Florence Draper must see him immediately? About what? Fetch Captain Beauville or I shall tell him you delayed me. I have urgent information. A matter of life and death. He scuttles off, promptly returning with his commanding officer. Miss Draper, a pleasure as always. How can I help you? As I tell Bradley's story, a red-hot fury spreads across Captain Beauville's face. There are two lorries in the yard, and he rushes over to the officer in charge. Activity around the vehicles comes to a halt with every soldier in the yard staring in my direction. Come this way. I follow him, and he tells me to sit. I want details. I want to know how many men, who they are, where they are. Point out the locations to me on that map. I tell him everything I know. Daddy never laid a hand on me before. He's not that kind of man. He's gentle. A gentleman. Mammy is still furious. It's all very well shouting and roaring about your beliefs, but you need to learn when to keep your mouth shut. You're still a child, and you don't understand how the world works. Your father is not angry with you. He is angry with himself. A big man like him, humiliated. For the whole of Castlecomer to see, humiliated in front of his own daughter. I don't care about that. Keep your thoughts in your head, Mary. What do you think would have happened if your daddy had defended himself? If he'd hit back? You'd think they'd have let him continue on his way. That he'd walk home without a care in the world. Are you really that naive? Captain Beauville has promised to make our safety an absolute priority. You have demonstrated such mettle and a sense of duty to our king. Your bravery knows no bounds, taking such risks. However, Miss Draper, we don't want a repeat of the Lindsay situation in Cork. I'm sure you are aware things did not end well for her. Poor woman, gunned down by the IRA for her loyalty. I have done only what any good citizen would do. My allegiance will always lie with the Crown. I have nothing to fear. Nevertheless, I will arrange a flare gun and a number of grenades for protection. 
to be used at the first sign of danger. Grenades? I am no soldier, sir. Miss Draper, we are constantly battling these heathens. We are all soldiers. Arm yourself or you will become the next victim. I do appreciate the great sacrifice you have made in the name of the crown. Are you aware that King George is to tour Belfast? They expect a large gathering for the royal procession when he addresses Northern Ireland's new parliament. Captain Beauville is much indebted to me. Warns me to be extremely wary and to stay alert. He sends me on my way. I'm Fierce Cross. I'm not allowed to go to the market with Daddy this morning. A punishment for my behaviour last week. I've never missed a day at the market before this. Mammy's at the front gate, deep in conversation with Mrs. Ryan, complaining about the torturous heat. They talk for hours when putting the world to rights. Mrs. Ryan can't hear another word about those Dubliners taking advantage of the fine sunny weather, the large queues in the city boarding trams bound for seaside resorts. What good is that to hard-working farming folk like ourselves? What about us? Will there be any end to it? The grass is black as coal. Water shortages will be the ruination of us all. She's praying for rain and... Mammy's face changes. Like she's seen a ghost. What's wrong with you, Mammy? Glory be to God. The tans. They're coming this way. Sure enough. A load of tans are stomping up the hill, pounding their way up the road. Mammy grabs my hand, grabs Mrs. Ryan, pulls us both towards the house. I pull myself free and look back to see Sean Byrne jumping over our front gate. A gun in his hand. We lock eyes. And in that moment, I see it all. Absolute terror. His face. His white face. Black eyes. He throws his gun behind our gate, hisses at me. Get rid of it. Hide it! And he's gone. Running through our yard. Disappearing through our field just in time before the tans pass by. Inside now. Myself, Mammy, Mrs. Ryan. Before long, the sound of gunfire. All hell is breaking loose, and Mrs. Ryan starts to pray. Word is travelling up from Castle Comer. A mixed party of troops and RIC led by Captain Beauville surprised Irish rebels at Coolbawn and surrounding areas. As the rebels tried to make their getaway, a gun battle ensued. There are no casualties to Crown forces, but the same cannot be said for the rebels. Two young men have lost their lives. They're saying these men died because of information received at the barracks. You'd pity the turncoat who did this horrible deed. Whoever it was will surely be at the end of the rope when the IRA catches up with them. Rebecca glares at me. I warned you, Flurry. I told you to stay here, but you never listen. I hope you're happy now. You have death on your hands. When Daddy arrives home, he is shook and full of news. At least two IRA men have been killed. Murdered in cold blood by the Brits at Coolbon Cross. He's been hearing nasty things about the ladies of Finsborough House. One of them, Florence, was seen at the barracks. She informed the British of what was about to happen. She's a traitor. 
And it's certainly her fault that the two young men have lost their lives. God rest them. Mammy says she would be quaking in her boots if she were Florence Draper. There's no doubt that her ladyship and that sister of hers are done for. Oh, the thought of what will befall them would make your blood run cold. I wonder about the brave Sean Byrne. Terrified, dumping his gun, taking off across the field. Early morning. Another scorching day ahead. Be fed up with it. We've seen ne'er a drop of rain these past weeks. Doesn't seem that it'll arrive any time soon. I'm drinking tea in the kitchen with Thomas when there's a loud banging. Glory be to God if they're trying to break the door down. Thomas tells me to stay put, jumps up and off he goes. He quickly returns, paper in his hand. His face, a ghastly shade, drained of colour. Thomas, what is it? It's Nicholas, Mammy. What about him? Where is he? He's dead, Mammy. Nicholas is dead. We are hated, despised. They have stabbed our horses, poor innocent creatures. Cattle have been sent trampling through our fields, destroying everything. They mean to ruin us. Rebecca is a nervous wreck. This is your doing, Florence. My life is ruined because of you. I have been tarnished by your actions. Why did you not listen? Word has spread rapidly. I was observed by many locals on the morning of the ambush, making my way to the barracks, sneaking through those large iron gates. I am deceitful. A Judas. A British sympathiser. A traitor to Ireland. There is no end to Rebecca's tears. It is quite clear she lays the blame at my feet for all of this. Mr Bradley has not been seen for some time. I am cast in the role of murderer. Sean Hartley of Glenmore. Nicholas Mullins of Thomastown. Two young men with their lives ahead of them. I may as well have shot them myself. People are screaming for my blood. Captain Beauville advises that we leave the area. Temporarily, at least. But I will not be forced out of my home. It would be for the best. And where would we go? You have family in England, do you not? We will not be driven away from Finsborough House. Miss Draper, forgive me for saying so, but you really are quite a foolish woman. Parents should not outlive their children. My hopes and dreams are destroyed. It's as if I've been turned to stone. Frozen. I should have done more to keep him alive. Should have fought harder. I cannot move. Not a day, a minute or an hour passes without the darkest thoughts. Thoughts of what they've done to my boy. My every thought is Nicholas. His fate. Did they hurt him? Torture him? Did he call out for help? Did he call out for me? I need the answers. I need to know the truth. 
I'm stood in the twelve-acre field. Sean Burns' gun in my hand. I have it wrapped in oilcloth. I remove it. Cold metal. So much lighter than you would think. The powerful feeling of holding it. What are you doing there, Mary? What have you got there? Uh, Nothing. Don't lie to me. What's that in your hand? I show her the pistol. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Where did you get that put down? I found it. You found a gun? Where? In our field. I'm going to hide it in the hollow until I figure out what to do with it. I'll tell Daddy. He'll know what to do. Oh, well, you... You you could take it and, and give it to him yourself. I will not. Did you see anyone? Not a sinner. I say nothing about brave Sean Byrne. How can I tell her? For all his big talk, the boy she so admires is a coward who ran at the first sign of trouble. home, to his final resting place, on the train, alone. My God, what was Nicholas doing in that godforsaken place with a gun? Nicholas didn't like guns. They buried Sean Hartley in Glenmore yesterday. A hero send-off for a young man who gave his life and soul for Ireland. A large crowd of mourners gathered there, much to the disdain of the authorities, the RIC, the Black and Tans. They could do nothing to stop people congregating. There were too many, and they were unable to control it. I will not go to the church. I cannot do it. That burden has been put upon my children. It's customary to meet the coffin at the train. Family accompanied on their long journey along Station Road and up to the funeral mass. But this will not happen. No pallbearers. Nothing. They stop everyone. The only people who are permitted at the station are my children. Black and tans blocking the congregation at the top of Market Street as Nicholas makes his final journey through our town. The people will not be moved, and a young girl carrying a tricolour joins the top of the procession as they make their way to the church. There's singing and music in our kitchen tonight fiddle players and whistles. A lot of talk about what happened to those men. A lot of talk about the drapers. Come on, Mary. Sing a little something. I don't feel like it, Mammy. Of course you do. You've been hiding in the corner all night. You'll sing us something for those two poor souls. Fine. I hear you calling me. You called me when the moon had failed of light Before I went from you into the night I came, do you remember, back to you 
There's clapping and cheering. Mr. Walker has appeared at the doorway with Bridie. She waves me over. I join them. Such a beautiful voice you have, Mary. Thank you, Mr. Walker. You have something for me, I believe. We slip out and the moon shines brightly as we head towards the twelve-acre field. My heart thumping away in my chest. Did you recognise him, Mary? I don't know. Did you see his face? What will happen to him? Nothing good comes of being a coward. We must deter others from engaging in similar behaviour. There are penalties for cowardice. He's only a boy, Mr. Walker. He's a man. What kind of man runs away putting his own life before the lives of his comrades? Firing a warning shot was his only task. No. He is a coward. There might have been a different outcome for those men had he fired that shot. Tell me the truth now. Say his name. And I do. I say it. Without difficulty. Sean Byrne. Mr. Walker nods. What about Bridie? What about her? She'll be grand. I wouldn't have run, Mr. Walker. I would have fired that shot. He nods again. Says he doesn't doubt that for one minute. I'm woken by Effie's demented barking. Rebecca rushing into the room in absolute panic, screaming, terrified. The IRA are surrounding the house. A large group of angry armed men baying for blood. Florence Draper! Rebecca Draper! Come out and show your faces! Rebecca's face is ashen. We do not move. In the name of the Irish Republican Army, you have been found guilty of aiding an enemy in time of war. As a result of this most treacherous act, an act resulting in the death of our brave comrades, this residence, Finsborough House, shall be set alight and burnt to the ground. We will allow you five minutes to gather what you can. Florence, we need to leave. You must listen this time. Why are you sitting there? I cannot move. Frozen to the spot. I will not capitulate. Finsborough is my home. My fifty years have been spent here. Those years will not be given up. They will kill us both! I will not die here like this! She tries to pull me up. Outside, they shout. They scream. They roar. They say I will remain unharmed. As if I trust their word. I fetch the flare gun. Grenades. Climb out the window, onto the flat roof. I take aim. A flare into the night. A grenade in the middle of the mob. They shout. They scream. They roar. Rebecca at the front, sobbing, begging. But no. I do not move. The angry mob rushes about. They set our home alight. Paraffin. Petrol. The crackling of flames, intense heat, inferno, fire ripping through the house, through every room, the stench of burning wood. I climb the water tank, loyal Effie by my side, whimpering, terrified. Why is no one...
papers before help comes. Our home destroyed and nothing left. We are finally done. Our lives a scorched black ruin. People are so very kind. Cards, prayers, the most beautiful flowers, messages of deepest sympathy. Gone from our sight, but never from our hearts. Time is a great healer. Time heals all wounds. These words leave me cold. This morning, a letter arrived from Castle Comer in the most beautiful handwriting from a mother who understood. Her words brought me such comfort and solace. If you will permit me to say, you are such an example of the wonderful courage and fortitude of the mothers of our Irish heroes. God bless all of you and comfort you until time shall have softened the pain which your great sacrifice to your country has occasioned you. I wish with all my heart I could give you the particulars in detail of your dear son's last few hours on earth. Unfortunately, my knowledge is limited, but I shall gladly tell you all I know or could gather at the time. The enemy got information of the arrangements for the ambush and came out on foot, scattered through the fields and woods on both sides of the road. Your son, Sean Hartley, and another boy were a short distance away from the main body of the IRA outposts and were subjected to the forces of the Crown. The retreat was sounded, and the IRA retreated as quickly as possible. Sean was struck where he stood, on top of a high bank of earth, beside the road wall, and fell down the bank into the wood, a distance of about twenty feet. His neck was broken. A death occurred instantly. He and Nicholas had attempted to engage the military in order to give their comrades a little time to reach cover, which was only a short distance away. Nicholas, who had kept firing all the time, was then hit in the body but turned and raised his rifle to fire again. He was then wounded in the hand, his rifle being knocked to the ground. Three soldiers closed in on him, and even then he took his rifle up again, as one of the soldiers remarked afterwards, the chap with his hand half blown off tried to shove his rifle down my throat when he was captured. The soldiers commandeered a passing horse and cart, They had some shirts and bandages the boys had left behind and with these they made a pillow and with some hay, a bed of sorts. They laid your Nicholas down as gently as might be. The morning was very warm. They lifted Nicholas's head and gave him some water. They put Sean beside him and covered him up. They then took him the mile or so to the barracks and got a priest and doctor for him. Soldiers rushed down the street for some brandy and soon after we heard that he'd gone to his eternal reward. Yes, two more noble lives were given for Ireland. It occurred to me at least that evening that Ireland's freedom will have been dearly fought. 
on Sunday, from about 2pm till almost dark, there's a constant stream of people to the spot. There were seven separate rosaries there last Sunday. The school children recite in Irish every evening, and each brings his or her own little offering of flowers. The place is heaped with flowers, wreaths and crosses, most of them sadly withered, but fresh ones come almost every day. On Sunday, there were several fresh ones hung about the trees. One tree in particular, which I believe was splattered with blood, is held sacred. Someone cut a cross on it. There's a large picture hanging on it. There are several cards and prayers hanging about. Yesterday evening, as I was leaving the spot, it occurred to me to bring a flower of one of the crosses and a prayer. I'm enclosing them. I trust you and your family are as well as can be expected and that your great trouble has not seriously affected your health. These words move me greatly and the flower that was enclosed. I think of those children remembering my son. Perhaps it's better to die for your freedom than live as another man's prisoner. And as Nicholas once said, big changes are coming. Make sure that you are ready. Bridie has never asked what happened with the gun. Never asked what her father said to me. She wonders, though, how about Sean Byrne? He's disappeared, hasn't been seen. Rumours and gossip fly about the place. He's run away to England. If he's ever seen again, it'll be his undoing. I don't feel bad for him. Why should I? He brought it on himself. I say nothing. Because I've learned to keep my mouth shut. How my mother will be pleased. Rebecca rarely speaks. Suffers with her nerves, a constant state of fear. This is all my doing. I have caused this pain. Here in England, 1922, we are looked upon as strangers. Our life somewhat peaceful but never feeling quite secure. This constant state of fear. This life that has been forced upon us. Surrey, the eastern side of the Blackwater, a picturesque village by the name of Ash. Ironic, given all that has befallen us. Beautiful, but we'll never be home. I often yearn for Finsborough, to walk the land, ride horseback over hills, through uskirty woods, Galloping, haunting, we were free. I cannot say I yearn for Ireland. It is a broken country. I cannot say I miss it.
boy is gone. Forever. Gone from me. My heart is broken. Shattered. In a million pieces. An enthusiastic newspaper man travelled out from Kilkenny to speak with me. Was I aware of Nick's involvement with the IRA? Well, said I, isn't half the country. My son was a proud Irishman. He asks what I think about all this, all this death and violence. Was it worth it to lose my son, taken in such violent circumstances in the name of Ireland? I look him straight in the eye. Tell him I would sacrifice three more of my sons, if necessary, for Ireland's freedom. And I think back on Nicholas's short life. As a baby. A boy. A man. I have to think of how he lived, not how he died. And my son knew how to live. Yes, indeed. My boy knew how to live. You've been listening to Cool Born Women, written and directed by Gillian Grattan. Florence Draper was played by Susie Lamb. Anne Mullins was played by Rosemary Henderson. Mary was played by Avine Murphy. Bridget was played by Lucy Dunn. John Morton played the role of Daddy, Captain Boville, Lawrence Mullins and Mr. Walker. Steve Nolan played Nicholas Mullins, the IRA man and the tan. Mammy was played by Gillian Grattan. Original music was composed and performed by Saivni Cassida, Aina Cassida and Sharuna Cassida. Sound recording, sound design and editing by Martin Bridgman. Cool Born Women was produced by Breedis Levin. The writer would like to thank Maura Downey, Jura Comerford, Mags Marcy and Colin Mullins for their help with researching this project. Cool Born Women was funded by Commission Naman with a television licence fee.